Okay, hello. We're back. Welcome, Hi. welcome, welcome. How's it going, everyone? And I, I noticed when we start, you kind of do a little clap at the beginning when I say three, two, one. <laughs> oh, or yeah. Something, something, yeah. Am I yeah, supposed like to not do that? I thought we were supposed to clap once, but I guess you can clap uh, another time. doesn't matter. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> quality content right here so yeah <laughs> today second episode of odyssey academy yeah yep yep this is the show this is the segment this is the episode where people are going to learn we're going to learn we're going to talk about a certain topic as of right now we're going to talk about something very manly would you care to reveal what we're going to talk about yeah yeah we're going to talk about firearms the history firearms. the mechanics history mechanics everything about them um, everything <laughs> if you're not really familiar with firearms to be honest uh we're not either i mean i've only been to the range twice and i think you have twice mm. as well so i've been i think about like actually i've been like four times i think four times all right badass yeah. so we've we're not experts <laughs> know, right? to be honest <laughs> we do what we can uh but firearms are very much an american thing if you're not mm-hmm. from america or if you're not you know a citizen so it's it's a stigma, it's a stereotype, you know, American and their guns. We love the Second Amendment. You know, everyone has a right to own a gun. It's only fair to say that someone, that everyone in America should know at least something about the mechanics of a weapon, of the gun, and the history of the guns. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, then. So you know more of the history of these firearms where myself... A little more involved in the mechanics of them mm-hmm. and i'm actually a little excited to get into this so <laughs> yeah I'm not that's really what, sure this. <laughs> you're, it's because you're an engineer bro you're an engineering major everything you're mechanical a, it gets me excited. excited what could i say very manly yeah. <laughs> yep. so you know i didn't do much research into the uh the history of the firearms like i don't know the dates i don't know when it first came up who invented them what civilization do you happen to know some details on that Yes, I do. Okay, so, uh, okay, so I took a bunch of notes here, but I'm just gonna try to make it more conversational style. So basically, yeah. firearms um, were evolved to facilitate man's basic needs in life. So you know, like back in you know tribal days, you know how we always had to fight. Tribes were at, you know at war with one another, and sure, the the main purpose behind making sure that your tribe was protected was because it was basically all about survival, right? You fought against other tribes to take their resources, to take their women, to essentially survive, right? But yeah, human beings were always a weak animal from the very, very beginning. We never had any like, like tusks or we never had anything that was built onto our body to help protect us. We had weak jaws. We had not much muscle mass as compared to yeah, other animals we had no claws no big teeth we're very yeah, vulnerable exactly and we were exactly and we stand upright which you know makes vulnerable all of our main organs you know like your heart your intestines your liver all this stuff is like right it's open it's out in the front right and so as compared to other animals that are down on all fours it's harder to reach their vital organs so um Essentially, what happened was human beings being so weak had to evolve and develop weaponry by way of, you know, stone tools and that sort of thing. And then, 
So they would not only fight against wild beasts, they would have to fight against other tribes. So the number one key here is that the tribe with the latest weaponry or technology would essentially be the victor, right? And this is how human evolution took a completely different path as compared to other animals because their weaponry was outside of their body. It was not a part of their body. So um, that left a lot of room for development, right? Because other animals, like if you want to become stronger by the weapon that they have on their body, it's not going to just change automatically, right? It takes years and years and years of evolution to, uh, I guess, develop stronger teeth or whatever the hell it may be, right? So anyways. It's natural for them, yeah. It, yeah, exactly. So now... <sighs> People developed swords after spears and things like that. And and for a long time, it was all about the sword. It was all about the bow and the arrow, right? Like the sword with like uh, that was sharpened the best, that was made out of the best material uh, or the best metals, right, would be yeah. advantageous. And then talking about armor and everything like that. Now, um, so essentially if you don't know the concept of hegemony hegemony is basically domination right like b mm -hmm. by a certain nation or by a certain state and hegemony is something that pretty much every tribal tribe at in i don't know thousands of years ago tried to uh -huh. um i guess have tried to do you know so anyways um I think Sorry, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go for it. I mean, so back in the day, we were kind of primal in a sense where we were still using sticks and stones, but yeah. just better versions, right? So, you know, steel and, and iron and we had bows and arrows. And in terms of warfare, the tech wasn't so advanced, right? Mm -hmm. I think the idea that using projectiles as a, as a weapon came about when, you know... Uh, I guess in the 1400s, maybe the 1500s. So, just right, right. over the the medieval the medieval era, where you know warfare was getting intense, and you know it was very nasty back then. It was very gruesome, very gory, and it's amazing to think how this small piece of technology, the firearm, or as a matter of fact, the discovery of of a gunpowder, changed warfare entirely, like overnight. 100%. So, I think it was the Chinese that uh, initially discovered it, didn't they? Like it was yep, the fireworks yep. or something like that? Yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. I, was I, going to, I was going to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Go for it. Yeah. So, okay. So, let's see. So, basically, you know, human beings have endured conflict for a long time and they started using, after, you know, spears and everything like that, they had swords, they had axes, they had crossbows, um, they had just the regular bow and arrow. Um, and, the weapon that was the most lethal at the time that did i guess the most damage in an, in the most efficient way was the crossbow right it was kind of relatively easier to you know reload if you're really good at that and so yeah, what game happened was defeated army yeah i know game of thrones that's what you automatically <laughs> start to think right and it's yeah. funny because in game of thrones they actually discovered something not like gunpowder but it was similar it was like dragon fire it was some green thing if you watch the well, show you'll oh, see it it was um yeah oh, what was it called uh it burned green what was it yeah. called uh 
the Archmages, they made it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It? I Dragon forgot. Fire? I thought it was something oh, like that. Yeah, something Tyrion like that. used it to yes. win that one battle of Blackwater, and he burned. Yes, everyone. Battle of the Blackwater. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, and that. so, that was essentially their, I guess, not discovery of like, you know, uh, gunpowder or black powder, as they say, but it was something similar. That's what they were trying to say, and how it revolutionized warfare. Wildfire wildfire there we go there we go <laughs> yeah and so that's a very similar right? in, invention yeah yeah and so it, that was a very similar invention and as they they essentially when they had this technology you could even see it in game of thrones they, they had a major advantage so it defeated armies would have essentially you know they would learn their lesson and they would have to evolve by uh, adapting whatever the tactic that was used against them or the technology that defeated them and so every single time let's say an army was defeated they would adapt their technology and then maybe they had the upper edge and then once the battlefield was leveled off again people would seek to forge even better weapons to gain the advantage again um so you know new technologies uh that were developed were you know the english longbow and chainmail. essentially you know this whole thing came about where one technology superseded the rest by far and it was in a flash you know it was uh-huh. like instant instantly and that was gunpowder right and it's also known as black powder um and so the materials used in gunpowder are made of it's made of something called saltpeter charcoal and sulfur those are the three materials All right okay. so uh, they say the Chinese, like you were just saying before, the Chinese most likely used black powder or gunpowder centuries before uh, for fireworks and for ceremonial uses. Um, so people say the Chinese were the first to uh, actually develop it, but they didn't actually use it for lethal reasons. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. It wasn't thought of as a weapon. It was just yeah. something they used as like a festivity. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's and interesting, this is though. rumor, by the way. Yeah. This is still rumor. rumor, so we don't even know 100% whether it's true or not. We'll never know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, yep. who who initially thought that this could be considered a weapon, right? That that discovery must have been, like, insane. It must have been just, like, a, a great historical mark or moment in history. So yeah. this idea that you can launch a projectile at another object and it would end up potentially harming that object you know it sounds mm-hmm. really simple but i'm guessing back then when they discovered it they're like dear god this yeah. is this is amazing <laughs> we need to report this immediately and then yeah, yeah. history is made crazy to think about 100%. but as far as the history do you know when um like the exact date when firearms became like a uh, a normal uh device to be used um that's difficult to say i would i don't know about the exact date that like okay. it, it's like there's no like official date here's the thing some people decided to stick to firearms and some people decided to stick to you know the crossbow and the longbow and that sort of thing because when it was first developed the firearm was so it was so primitive it was so hard to use that it was actually inefficient to use it did a lot of damage, but it was not like your typical handgun today. It's not easy to use. It, it's like, and right. I'll I'll go yeah. into like the details about it. But so they say the first official use of black powder came in 1260 AD, 
So, I mean, obviously we say the Chinese used them decades before or centuries before, but yeah. there was no official record of that. Uh, but this is just speculation, right? So the first mm-hmm. official use came about in 1260 AD. And then um, the first weaponized use of black powder came from something called a millimeter cannon. Um, it's essentially a cannon. Um, and then the first okay. illustration... Makes sense. Of, yeah. And then the first illustration of a gun came in 1400 um where you know if you see the depiction of it it's essentially a soldier firing one of these weapons um and so you know they they, these simple weapons were they seemed they looked simple right they looked simple but to operate them was very difficult and i mean i'm going to get that Mm -hmm. into that in a second but one thing that we do notice if we look at guns historically is that they are so, so heavily decorated. They're extremely heavily decorated. Actually, I was oh, in, yeah. um, I went to New York, uh, New York City about, uh, about a, two months ago, actually. And we went to a museum called the Met, right? I think it was the Met. Okay. I, for, I forgot, I, I forgot the exact name of the museum, but it's one uh-huh. of the, the major museum in New York City, right? Yeah. So uh, there was a whole, room full of these ancient guns and you would not believe how decorated they were they looked amazing actually uh, way better than the guns today but obviously you know we're not going to spend all this uh, money on heavy decoration or anything like that um i'll probably find like a few images online and then we can put that in the in the link in the description or like a cool. we can link it in the description what do you mean by decorative do you mean like they were very flashy yeah yeah 100 percent. like okay because think about it the only people who actually had access to guns back then were the richest of the rich right like the the kings and the um yeah. the people who were actually ruling the ruling class the aristocrats right, right? so uh-huh. um it was sort of a status symbol also and so it was not just heavily decorated just for pure decoration it was also sort of like a like all the mechanics that went into the operation of the gun back yeah. in those days it, they it needed to be heavily decorated so it needed to have all those uh the, those little like kinks on the gun and and i'll get more and more into that a little bit um uh on how yeah. it used to be and how it evolved uh, over history so you know they had certain various projectiles uh, that were put into these firearms to launch them um you know you know what's funny also is this is a side note grenades yeah. actually have little sharp projectiles in them that launch in all directions it's not like a, a like something just blows up you know people think like oh i'm gonna throw a grenade like in a video game or something right and then you right. just hear like an explosion but it's not just an explosion that it's not the explosion itself that kills right it's the little projectiles or the little things that are in the grenade that fly in all directions that kill I remember telling you that to be honest, and you were like, "What, really?" <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It, was, it must have been People you. Think okay. it's like, <laughs> I was yeah, like, t- I, like, I don't remember who oh told me God. that. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, I remember telling you that to be honest, because people think yeah. like it's an explosion and it's like a, it's like a ball of heat that burns you. Yeah. Mainly, I don't think that's what causes it to be so dangerous. It's a bunch of shrapnel and a bunch of projectiles within the grenade that really yeah. harms, you know, people around it. So. You know, I think we were watching Band of Brothers when he told me that. Oh, really? Were okay. We? Good show, by the way. Were yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, we I think so. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds appropriate, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, 
yeah good show band of brothers um <laughs> world war Two series right there 2001 yeah so yeah you were saying something about uh firearms being decorative and then um yeah this idea so, that so, yeah go ahead go for it so that's all uh, i remember to be honest yeah yeah, so they have uh, certain various projectiles that were put into these firearms to launch them, right? I mean, some guns even had knife, like had knives, and so they would, you know, have gunpowder that would launch the knife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just think about that. That's insane. That's kind of that's kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, think think <laughs> about how fast. Imagine a bullet coming at you at that speed, but imagine instead of a bullet, it's a knife. It's a knife. So, That'd be kind of weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's a little, it's a little scary. Um, I'm pretty sure they tried everything back then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, I mean, when you experiment with different weapons, yeah. Um, so they shot arrows too, actually, uh, with gunpowder and everything. So the first mm-hmm. handguns were used while riding on a horseback, uh, not unlike cowboys, but you know they were actually dressed like knights. That's funny. Because people think, you know, oh, yeah. if you have like a little gun, like a handgun on you and you're riding on a horse, you're probably a cowboy, right? Yeah, but in, in those days, you were actually a knight. Um, you were dressed like a knight. <laughs> with a gun. <laughs> yeah, a knight, a knight with a gun, not a sword. <laughs> sure, uh, whatever whatever floats their boat, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's how they initially tried them? To give the... Yeah. Well, knights were essentially like the, the soldiers back then, right? So they gave someone of combat experience the new weapon to work with so that yeah makes sense. yeah i think they were soldiers of like a higher rank you know um i don't know if you've heard of the whole like feudalist i think it was feudalism feudalism mm-hmm. is kind of like a caste system right where uh these you have like the king at the top and the lords or whatever um it's kind of like game of, thrones, game of thrones right yeah, yeah. immediately i thought of that that kind of yeah. makes sense that's the whole idea of feudalism back when the medieval times were a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. I think knights were ranked somewhere in there at the top, actually. Uh, they're oh, yeah. not like, like if you think about chess, for example, right? Like there, it's not like a little pawn, right? You're you have an actual knight that has a little bit of a uh, it moves better. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm sure you know the cost of producing guns back then, especially when they were a new technology, was very high because gunsmiths had to i mean obviously they were going to charge a hell of a lot of money to produce something that very few people know how to produce and it was a lot tougher back then right to just produce uh, imagine like to shape the gun perfectly uh when you don't have any machinery it's just you're literally you're a smith like you just got you got to heat up the steel you gotta and if you look at the pictures and they were the pioneers yeah when it came to making the molds, I suppose, because it wasn't easy. They had to invent everything from scratch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very difficult. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, yeah. So they say Leonardo da Vinci also made drawings of a bunch of handguns. And I think he lived in like the 1500s, if I'm not mistaken. So they but... were a thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Them. They were kind of, yeah. yeah, he knew about them. They were, they were kind of a, kind of a thing. Handguns uh, looked almost like telescopes back, um, you know, when they were first made. It's like the angle. You know how today we have handguns where there's a certain almost like a close to a 90 degree angle between like the handle and the top of the gun. Yeah. So so instead of it being a 90 degree angle, 
it was more of like a, almost like a 180 degree angle where it's almost like a stick. You're just holding the stick out, right? And you have oh, a yeah. little lever where, you know, it's not even a lever, actually. The first guns, which I'm going to get into in a bit, actually. Let me let me go in order here because <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> go all over the place. Uh, but uh, handguns almost look like telescopes back uh, when they were first made. So um, the sheer fact that people used to make these types of weapons with such precision without machines, again, like that's just, you know... They had to; these gunsmiths had to be incredible craftsmen at the time. Yeah. Um, and so eventually, you know, guns were able to uh, be looked down the barrel for higher precision when you know shooting the ball. Because before they had to, what they, the first type of gun that was made was essentially you have like a little. Um, have you seen dynamite? Like in cartoons. Uh. Like in cartoons, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I don't know if you've seen Tom and Jerry. Yeah, very cartoon. It's kind of yeah, like so, um, they always bring it out. Yeah, when they <laughs> like blow up the pocket. dynamite, they have to light the match, and they, you know, uh, they basically light the little string at the end, and then it goes closer and closer to the dynamite piece, and then it blows up. Is that how the first gun was was ignited? How it, it, it's, was similar. It, it's similar. It's okay. similar. So so. They had this like little telescope thing essentially, and at the top there was a little string, and so um, this string. So basically, they lit a match, and then this is keep in mind this is in the middle of the battlefield. Okay, so they lit a match. They had to <laughs> freaking put the uh, the the fire. What's it called? The match onto the string, and the string would like slowly go down to the gunpowder in the barrel, and then it would right. launch the projectile. Right now. Yeah there was a huge, huge risk of the gun actually blowing up right in the face of the yeah, soldier. I was just so, thinking that. Because if the gun malfunctioned, because think about this, there's no like actual safety mechanics in the gun at the time, right? At the time, it was just, hey, we have gunpowder and we have projectiles. And then we have a little barrel that's going to shoot the, you know, use the gunpowder when it blows up to launch these projectiles. You know, so there's no other, I guess, safety mechanism or anything like that at the time. So anyways, these these soldiers, when they first used it, a lot of them died because it took a long time. um, And then at the same time, to load the gun took forever to, you know, and it shot only one thing at a time, one projectile at a time. And then at the same time, they had to they lost a lot of precision because they could not look down the barrel they had to hold the, I guess, the gun with one arm, and then uh, with the other arm, they had to light the match, and then like they had to hold it while the, I don't know, while the, um, okay, yeah, while the string was lit and and the it was getting closer and closer to the gunpowder. So essentially, what it was is you you only had one arm to shoot back then, a big big gun. It wasn't like a handgun. Yeah. This is we're talking a big gun, right? Um, and so precision was way off took a long time to load it just wasn't the wasn't the best weapon at the time uh, but yeah. there was a lot of potential so uh and it smelled like shit quite frankly uh way worse than it does today you know you can smell kind of the gunpowder when you when you shoot guns today but it's not uh nearly as bad as it was back then mm-hmm. so eventually guns were able to be looked down the barrel for higher precision when shooting the you know the ball they didn't shoot bullets back then they shot like uh, some sort of different projectiles and then balls, essentially. Um, and so there were uh, real dangers for the gunners. 
uh, back in the days when they were holding the lit matches and everything like that. It would take forever to reload the gun. Um, and if it was raining, their guns would not work because they needed a lit match. So right. the whole technology uh, just Umbrellas failed. didn't exist back then. Yeah. 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 It's scary. Um, so, so the first guns that came out were called match locks where or it had a match lock where essentially you lit the match you lit the string on fire or whatever with the fire and then you the gunpowder would activate and then or it would blow the projectile out forward okay and so um that was called the match lock and then eventually you know as technology progressed uh over a number of years um they decided to try something new with something called the wheel lock and basically what it is is you attach a small little wheel to the side of the gun that spun and it caused as the gun as the wheel spun around it caused sparks to occur which would then light the match and then cause the gunpowder to ignite and the you know shoot the ball out so they would have a little bit more precision now because they didn't have to focus on, you know, taking with one hand a match, lighting it, and then, you know, <laughs> making sure the projectile launched properly. So right. uh, they had that, that was essentially called the wheel lock. Um, and so after that, basically came something called the flint lock. And this, is, this one's going to be a little bit tough to explain. Isn't um, that what's on muskets? Like it's a, it's yeah. like you pull it back with your thumb. And then, like, it snaps, makes a spark. That's yes. the idea behind it? Yes. Okay, that's yes. what I was thinking. Exactly. Um, and so the military, you know, they immediately uh, ad- adopted this technology. Um, and it was just a series of other locks, but it was more efficient, you know. And this technology was used. This technology, from so it went from the match lock to the wheel lock to the flint lock um, between... 1400 to 1580 okay Jeez, so transition what scientists doing yeah <laughs> <laughs> so between the 180 years the gun developed yeah. from all those different types of uh uh locks let's put it that way yep and then it really took their time mm-hmm. yeah seriously and then from <laughs> 1580 to 1850 which is i don't know how much is that like 1880 to 1850 oh Jeez, 270 uh, years right so 270 years they used the flint lock and wow really? it was yeah oh yeah it was used even during the american revolution with all these muskets and stuff yeah that was the standard uh like um gun uh, yeah device i suppose Jeez, yeah. that's a long time yeah, like no improvements at all they were just like all right this is it we're gonna use this <laughs> exactly exactly deal with it I know. All right, true. And and I guess you know with muskets and stuff they they attached small little they attached what is it what was it like a knife at the end of the of the musket? So they a had bayonet. one shot or was, the bayonet, yeah. the bayonet. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So um the 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 biggest I guess drawback to guns for the for I don't know what the 3 to 400 year period that uh guns were first developed was they shot only single rounds 
and it was very difficult to develop any sort of weaponry where there were multiple projectiles shot out at once. You see right. what I'm saying? So they had to re- take their time to reload and do all this stuff. So so with muskets or with bayonets, not muskets, but bayonets, they would... Or wait, does a bayonet attach to the musket at the end? The knife at the end? I think they called that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Bayonet. That's the knife at the so, end that they attach it to. Right. So with the muskets, what happened was, I guess, so they only had a single shot. They loaded the you know the projectile in there. It was a ball. Shot it. And then they didn't even take their time to reload. Essentially, what they did was they just ran screaming into the battlefield. And then, bam, they just started, like, you know, using the bayonet to, to stab. So it wasn't really as, you know, I guess, uh, advanced as you would think. And they had 400 years almost, uh, actually over 400 years, uh, before the first, I guess, uh, revolver came about where, you know, they were able to put multiple bullets into the little chamber or right. uh, the chambers, right? Um, and so that was, after that, it was just, you know, um, multiple so once, shots. Yeah, once yeah. the tech got to um, flintlocks, is that what they're called? Yes. Really, that's when um, history was really changed, I suppose. Because when, mm-hmm. when tech alters warfare, it's safe to say that history changes exponentially, right? So right. Uh, a story that comes to my mind is the Spanish Inquisition. Back in like the 1500s, to be honest. Do you know about that? About what happened uh, I'm there? not too sure. Was it... Uh... It's about Cortez. Yeah. He came over. He he pretty much conquered Mexico. (laughs) Yeah. So a little history on that. uh, Mm -hmm. And it relates to our topic here because the reason why they conquered Mexico uh, so effectively was because of the new invention of the firearm. So this happened Mm -hmm. around 1500s. So the flintlock wasn't invented then. I think it was still around the, uh, the wheel lock, wasn't it? Wasn't it in that time of uh, invention? I think it was around 1580 is when the flintlock first uh, came to be. Oh, so it was before. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So I guess if it was before 1580, then it probably was the wheel lock. Okay. Yeah. So Cortez's story when it came to conquering Mexico. So the Spanish were very greedy people back then uh, in the 1500s, mm-hmm. and they were going against Britain. So... It was like this economic war between the two, and right, right, think, the Spanish Armada, all that stuff. Yeah, right? all this, all that stuff with Queen Elizabeth and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. the idea was to colonize more than the British. So, you know, the Spanish oh, yeah. having ideas, they decided to take an expedition around the world and try to colonize as many places as they could. So, yeah, here comes Cortez with an offer to go conquer Mexico, mm-hmm. and really um they were called conquistadors so this whole expedition of conquistadors came over to mexico and they pretty much wanted to pillage everything they wanted to take every gold they wanted to take all the land all the all the the spoils so little did they know though that mexico was already populated with these i wouldn't say crazy but there were these tribes that were a little scary you were talking Mm -hmm. about the mayans the aztecs these are tribes that actually practice sacrifice on a daily basis so wow. these tribes were no deal. They were no they were no joke. Yeah. 
So the Spanish come over, they discovered these tribes. And, mm-hmm. you know, throughout history, when a group of people meet another group of people, things usually don't go well. <laughs> yeah, especially, especially in those when it comes days. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about it from their perspective in those days. It To conquer, to battle, to go to war was almost a normal thing because it was like a survival of the fittest back then. You know, you never knew... You can never really trust any, everyone. No one fell under the same rules of government at the time. So you were not necessarily safe or protected all the time. So you would always have to watch your back. And if if it was that way, then it's like, hey, I'm not just going to be okay with trusting you. You're, yeah. you know, I mean, from the their outsiders. perspective, it was kind of like, you guys are outsiders. You guys are, I mean, to both groups, right? To both groups, it's like right. outsiders. So, yeah. um, but um people you know, human I, nature. I, yeah it's yeah it's human nature at the time it was very different right like i think people get it all i don't want to say mixed up but people get all offended about what happened back in those days you know about like all the conquering of like the native american land and everything like that and you know how we had and and think about this we only won because of mainly because of our advanced weaponry right the guns especially it played um, a huge part yeah 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 um probably other resources and things like that but overall a lot of it was our advanced weaponry and you can't i guess how do i put this i forgot the main point i was even gonna make really but yeah just based it on you can't you can't just judge it off of uh i think what you're trying to say is you can't judge it off the technology itself is that what you're trying to say so i'm actually trying to get into morality here I'm saying like okay. I don't think people should judge for what happened back in those days because you know how like people say oh white people came and they just conquered and like yeah. you know all this kind of stuff they it's kicked out the Indians yeah yeah I mean that's how life was back then what do you expect from the 1500s you know people were not talking about morality um, the only way you really ever consider morality or anything is if your economy develops so past all of that that we have no need to fight over resources, right? Resources were much more scarce back then than they were now, or at least we're able to extract more resources with our current technology so that we don't Survival have to fight. Survival was real back then. Yeah. yeah. It was It was just a, a time of, you know, desperate times, desperate measures. People were much more willing to do harsher things in order to stay yes. alive and to survive. And yes. That brings me to my point to the Cortez story, because Cortez had a very, very difficult situation he was in. So the conquistadors mm-hmm. came over, and then they realized that these tribes, they were outnumbered. And so this was going to be a pretty much a fight for survival. So they had Oh, no I think choice. I know where you're going with this one. Was it, was it yeah. the story from the 33 Strategies? You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Tell it. I, I love that story. That's a great story for this one. So, in the book uh, by Robert Greene, 33 Strategies of War, uh, Cortez's conquest was such a historical story that it was told by Robert Greene in his book. So, the story goes, <laughs> you know, uh, the conquistadors came over and they, they encountered these different civilizations, right? Literally, these different kinds of cultures. And they were, they were just astounded and they were astonished by how they lived. You know, they were sacrificing people. They were savages, basically. They practiced all these weird rituals. And, you know, the conquistadors, they were 
for lack of better words, civilized people of that time, right? So mm-hmm. they understood. Um, I don't know. Were they a monarchy? I'm not too sure. No, they were. Um, they were Catholic. I, I know so. that for sure. <laughs> I, I think so. They had a Spanish king, right? The Spanish king. Um, they did. King Philip. Actually, yeah. King, I think it was King Philip II or someone. King, king uh, Philip the 1500s. Yeah. I think so. But so. My point is that they were civilized people. They followed the king, so they understood hierarchies. And they were also religious people. So they were members of the Catholic Church. And, mm-hmm. you know, back then the Catholic Church was a very powerful institution. So these conquistadors come over and they pretty much experience all these tribes, you know, violating their religion, right? They, they did all these things that were wrong. And they did all these things mm-hmm. that were considered, you know, heretics, and that they were just, you know, savages. And they were people that could never be considered human. So, with that being said, uh, there's different the difference between the conquistadors and the and the Mayans and the Aztecs and all the other tribes that were there. So, you know, Cortez comes over uh, with his expedition. And they want to pretty much bring back to Spain as much gold as they could, right? Because Cortez promised... Um, I think it was the king that he could bring all this gold and he could pretty much, you know, bring uh, Spain's economy to the next level. Right. With that, being, with, it, with that being said, Cortes didn't realize how difficult the situation was going to be because he had to not only invade the, the country of Mexico itself, but he had to also develop colonies within that piece of land. So yeah. this is a very difficult conquest, a very difficult campaign. But what made it so possible was their advanced technology, which is our topic of this episode, firearms. Mm-hmm. So back during the 1500s, you know, the Spain, the Spanish were a very uh, high-tech civilization at the time. So they had access to this technology of firearms. You know, they understood gunpowder. They understood projectiles. They bring that mm-hmm. uh, warfare tech over to Mexico and they pretty much create a uh, they develop one of the greatest campaigns in the history I know that for sure right and right connecting this to the book that we read uh, 30 strategies of war Cortez mm-hmm. had a different mindset so he literally had to convince his expedition to stay and to conquer the whole or to pretty much defeat all the, the tribes in Mexico. Yep. So this is known as the death ground strategy. And that yep. was the strategy yep. he followed. And the synopsis of the strategy goes like this. If you're ever in a situation where, you know, you're very desperate and there's no other way to pretty much succeed at a certain situation, that you have to develop this mindset where it's all or nothing. So it's a it's a desperate um chance or it's it's a different swing to success so you literally focus on nothing else but your goal and the death the death ground strategy pretty much initiates that it's either you succeed or you die Mm -hmm. and and that's how harsh it gets and that was how harsh it was back then when cortez came on to the land of mexico so following that type of strategy they ended up becoming so courageous and so motivated that they ended up having a successful campaign. Yeah. But with the use of the technology, of course, that helped a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, so basically you have to force yourself into a situation where it's like, it's either you either make it out or you're pretty much going to die. <laughs> life or and death. So yeah, yeah, life or death. And so uh, I remember in this, uh, it was basically that Cortez just, he, he sunk some of the ships so they couldn't go back to their main base, which was I think in Cuba or something like that. Yeah. And so that was the death crown. Essentially, you're you're gonna have to make it out if you want to live. You're gonna have to fight these tribes and essentially defeat them. Um, right. And so all of a sudden, these soldiers just spark of life came out of them. You know, when you have when your back is against the wall and you have to survive, crazy types of energy just comes out. You know, um, yeah. and if you have no choice but to make it, you're probably gonna make it. It's a very uh, amazing human thing that happens, to be honest, because it's not only do you become desperate, but you be you become increasingly motivated to mm -hmm. to succeed, and that's exactly what happened when it came to the Spanish conquest of uh, Mexico. Yep, yep. But there's more military details when it comes to the tactics and the strategies that the the conquistadors used with their firearms, but right, right. Pretty much the invention of the, or the use of the firearm back then in the 1500s advanced civilizations like no other, right? So it helped civilizations out a lot back in the day. Yeah, and throughout exactly. History as well. But exactly. yeah, that was back, so, back way back when. Way back when. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean... So essentially, the, the the biggest problem we had with weapons, uh, with firearms back in the day was that they only shot single shots, you know. And after the single shots, the soldiers would um, go up to the other soldiers and then beat them with the guns, you know. And that's all they could essentially do. Sometimes they would have bayonets, <laughs> so. <laughs> True, yeah. Um, <laughs> literally, that's all they could do, you know. Well, that developed into a new type of warfare. Uh, style in general right so when it came oh, to yeah. the flintlock the the british and i think every um even in napoleon time they had this uh different approach to war in general right like there was like regiments they would create and they would line up and then they would act like as a single unit and then they would all like fire at once or something like that sorry yeah um, yeah yeah remember i, I said but, i said this on the last episode where uh, American colonists, when they were fighting in the Revolutionary War, they used different, they used sort of a guerrilla warfare type strategy where they changed things up, you know, and, yeah. you know, because it was so stupid to be able to just line up your army where out in the open and just shoot and fire, you know, like how dumb you're, you're literally sacrificing men like it's nothing like their, their right. lives are worthless. So, you know, with a limited amount of resources, and in this case, human resources, uh, the American colonists had very few soldiers. They had one-fourth the amount of soldiers that the British had. So how do you win with one-fourth if you're just shooting each other and killing each other right in front of each other, you know? So they weird. would essentially f hide behind, like, bushes. They would ambush them, have different attacks where, like, you know, um, and especially keep this in mind, like, the British army was, during that time, the strongest in the world. Um, so tough, man, tough, but... Oh, warfare was different back then. You're absolutely right. They had to adapt. They had to change. They had to adapt, yeah. And the invention of, um, you know, the flintlock mechanism really did change how battles were fought in general. 
I think yeah. it came to the revolution, uh, the Revolution War when it came to the Americans and the British. They really changed things up, didn't they? Because they introduced this new style of like guerrilla warfare, and that oh yeah, you can fight a different way, and through that tactic, they ended up winning. Yeah, yeah. Um, I crazy. think they were forced into a situation where um, they they had I don't know they were forced into a situation where their resources were so limited. Yeah, they had like a defensive advantage, right? Because the British would have to travel all over sea, and then so many people, so many of the soldiers would die because they couldn't handle uh, the massive ocean waters just like traveling for months to um, the mainland. So I think about I think I think if I'm not you know, mistaken, about a third of the British soldiers died on the way here. And that was a major advantage for the U.S., right? Or for the colonists at the time. And so yeah. uh, then they would just, you know, sneak up into their camps on Christmas Day. You know, pe- people, they had these traditions back then where, okay, if we're at war, then if it's Christmas, you know, day, we're not going to fight on Christmas Day, you know? <laughs> like, who's that immoral? And so, you know, at the time it was like, <laughs> fuck morality like we don't give a shit about your morality we just need to win so on christmas day they end up you know one of the attacks one of the surprise attacks was on christmas morning you know they just come into their tents and they start like firing at the british soldiers and they kill them and it was just a shock you know and they had to change up warfare and you're absolutely right that that warfare adapted and changed so much over time that you know as as these technologies developed more and more and more what happened was Warfare had to change from out in out in the open to like current day like camouflage and you have to hide in the grass. You got to have like, you know, uh, uh, the wet, the guns could not be just designed all crazy and they have to be designed with camouflage. Right. And uh-huh. it, it's just it's adapted so much that I think even to the point where we have nuclear weapons now and warfare can never be the same. It's not going to be the same. You cannot fight over the same land. You cannot. If people fought over land today, the same way they did back then, we would be using nukes, which is insane. The world would just collapse. <laughs> so right. So you're saying we kind of reached the max level of uh, warfare technology. <laughs> I wouldn't even say we've reached the max level. I would say we've reached. Uh, yes, we have reached the max level, but for uh, for human warfare. So like that that's not okay. to say that we have not maximized nuclear weapons, right? Like I'm sure like we have the hydrogen bomb, right? And we can get into this in a, into a different academy episode just about nukes in general. Um but there are uh, I'm sure there's technologies that are much more dangerous than even nukes, you know? Like or maybe there's the the high end of the nukes, right? Like um I don't know. I don't know. I think cuz like chemical weapons are, yeah. are much more dangerous. Right, Chemi- you could have chemical warfare, right? Um, nuclear fission, I think, is what the atom bombs are uh, uh, based off of, right? So the, it's fission is basically the decay of of all these uh, uh, high high radioactive uh, atoms, right? Like plutonium, uranium, and so that's the technology that it's based off of. But fusion is supposed to be even stronger than fission. Nuclear fusion okay. is when you fuse two atoms together, not when you split an atom apart. So you would take two, you go to the opposite end of the, of the periodic table to the hydrogen and um, the helium. I think I don't know if, I, if it was the helium. 
Yeah, it must have been hydrogen, I guess. So uh-huh. if you fuse two hydrogen atoms together, it causes I think an, I think the energy was like four times the amount of uh, of a nuclear fission. So right. there are, and th- this is happening consistently on the sun. You're harnessing the power of the sun. So weaponry has just been advanced to the point where, like, it, it we should not be going to war like we used to back in those days. You know, <laughs> it's kind of reached hardcore levels where it's just yeah. insane. What kind of weapons exactly. we have now? Yeah. So that's really it's scary because yes, it's it's scary to think how these weapons were actually used in the past, right? So we had two hydrogen bombs dropped in history okay and they were like near the same place on uh japan hiroshima and no no no. um i mean actually hydrogen bombs that were used to uh kill people <laughs> they were used as weapons oh, oh 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 so so those were not hydrogen bombs those were atomic atomic bombs those were atomic right? bombs okay i don't know the yeah. difference here i don't know the term- so- i don't know the terminology <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's all good. So I think hydrogen bombs are, uh, they're supposed, they're, so basically they're a lot, lot stronger than just your typical atomic bomb. Your atomic bomb okay. is like, you know, the first nukes that were developed, that's based off of nuclear fission. I think hi- hydrogen bombs are based off of uh, nuclear fusion, if I'm not incorrect on that. Meaning, remember, like, they basically fuse two atoms together instead of um, having the atom like... decay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, dude, you know what's worse. funny? Quick side note. Actually, we should, we'll talk about this in a different Academy episode because there's so much to go into like nuclear weapons. There's so many facts that people don't know about, but just <laughs> quick side note, there were over a thousand nuclear tests that happened in our history oh, yeah. so far, which, right. which so many people are shocked by. They're like, what? We only thought two nukes were dropped. No, dude. Like thousands were dropped and they were dropped all over the world mainly a lot of them on the uh, on the u.s mainland in nevada uh where the u.s military they set up camp and you know if people play like call of duty black ops right they went to there was a map called nuketown and Uh that was a little so what they did was they created little houses back uh in those days in nevada there's like footage of it yeah 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 where they wanted to test the damage and see uh how far away if a nuke was dropped where it would blow up the uh, the house, or whether it would, what kind of impact the house would have on it, right? And so and they actually have film of this where it's just like demolished, like in an instant. <laughs> yeah, it's scary. it's scary. Honestly, it's very, it it's terrifying to see the mm-hmm. kind of damage that a nuke can do. Um, yeah, people want to, people should want to avoid nuclear warfare. <laughs> yeah, it's no joke. The science is. Pretty deadly when it comes to that kind yeah. of warfare. But going back to a different type of warfare. So yeah, after, I think, the 1800s, like after the cowboy days, or mm-hmm. even during the cowboy days, um, the the tech behind firearms began to improve, right? Like you ended up having revolvers, and then, you know, there was uh, even some rifles with some, you know, cartridge capacity, so you didn't have to, like, you know, put gunpowder into it and you know reload yeah. after every every shot so mm-hmm. over time you know firearms became better and better yep do you have, do you have anything to add to the cowboy the history <laughs> yeah, uh, just around that you know, time there wasn't too much besides the revolver um the revolver came about soon after and uh that allowed to put more rounds into uh, like in cylinder in the cylinder you know and this sparked more of a 
a redesign in the weaponry and mm-hmm. i mean that was it pretty much after that you know the weaponry just started to change and you know after this era the gun in general started to um completely like the redesign and the change in it began to increase rapidly the change in technology came about more and more rapidly and i'm assuming it's because there was more information being spread and easier access to information that sort of thing right and i think it's just uh what caused that type of redesign was the industrial revolution i think when it came to Mm -hmm. production being improved and that you could uh, improve your factories and you can improve the the metalworking processes so yeah. when it came to that type of era it's safe to say that technology across all domains improved over time yeah so you know automobiles uh firearms you had um even like home appliances you had you know buildings airplanes. things like that airplanes um uh, Mass Trains. production of steel, yeah, yep. which led to high skyscrapers and just yep. the whole 20th century and the whole 19th and the 20th centuries were insanely just, it was, if you look at human civilization, you go back to, you know, the beginning of human evolution, like 2 million years ago, and you're here today, it's like a rapid, like if you look at a chart, it will just go way up if you talk about like it's pretty uh, clear yeah 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 if you talk about like uh human life expectancy just technology in general so Uh uh-huh fun fact actually going back to the revolver it's Mm. more dependable to have a a wheel gun that's what the for lack of better terms a revolver uh than an actual standard handgun in today's terms because when it comes to revolver it wouldn't jam as much in respect to a handgun because the handguns yeah. have a special mechanism in, res- in regards to the clip. So the mm-hmm. clip itself holds bullets. But there's always a chance in your uh, rate of fire that the bullet can actually get jammed within the chamber. Because the magazine is constantly applying pressure to that chamber. So okay. there's always there's always that small chance of a bullet not being correctly aligned into the chamber. Whereas in a revolver, you know, there's one slot for each individual bullet, right? Yeah. So you yeah. can you can you can spin it, and it will line up perfectly with that one bullet in uh, unison with the chamber. Mm-hmm. Just a little fun fact there. If you ever want to buy a a very dependable gun, a revolver is usually the best kind to go with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, and they show they show the handgun is is like the most common one nowadays, right? And like. Movies Most mass-produced, and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is mass-produced. Yeah, exactly. Like in James Bond, John Wick. There's, they're always using like a special handgun, like the Glock 24 or the Glock yeah. 26. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the usual gun to go to. But since mm-hmm. we're getting to the mechanics of uh, the firearms right now, mm-hmm. I think I'll just go on a tangent here in respect to the actual physics when it comes to a firearm. So, sure. Just to get everyone on the same page, we know that. A usual gun and a firearm is considered to be a projectile motion device, right? So you have this small device, or you have this small pellet or object, and you're projecting it across a certain amount of distance, right? 
So in respect to that, there needs to be some sort of force or some sort of massive amount of energy to project that type of object throughout that distance, right? So mm -hmm. I really, I was trying to understand how uh, bullets go at such high speeds, right? So you have bullets going from like, you know, 390 feet per second to uh, 1200 feet per second, uh, sometimes mm -hmm. even 1500 feet per second. So, in miles per hour, that would be like what, um, like four hundred, maybe something like that. I'm not too sure on the conversion, but it's pretty fast, right? Right. I think even some bullets, uh, they break the sound barrier. Do they? Oh yeah. <laughs> so, sound barrier, I think, is is Mach one, right? And that's like what is it, eleven hundred? I think it's yeah. It, this I don't know how much Mach one is in terms of. Uh, 767 um, miles per hour. <laughs> okay, 760. Yeah, yeah, 767. Yep. That's, That's pretty speed fast. Of sound. Speed of sound, bro. So, when it comes to that amount of speed, it's safe to say that that object or any bullet has a lot of momentum. And with a lot of momentum, we know there's a high amount of energy, a high amount of kinetic energy within that same bullet. So, mm. the reason why a bullet does so much damage to any object it hits is because the amount of uh, kinetic energy that it impacts it with. So if a, a bullet were to impact any rigid object, like let's say a wall or um, even like metal, there's going to be a massive amount of kinetic energy at that same point. So the contact time between the bullet and the actual wall is so small. And this is a uh, a parameter known as impulse which is also momentum but that's going into the physics of it basic terms is <laughs> I you lost me of... for like the last like <laughs> five to ten seconds of what you said the, right, uh, wait, so, so 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 you shoot the bullet out of the wet out of the gun and it it at exactly at contact point when it hits the object a lot of kinetic energy is released is that what you're saying that's true into okay. the other into the object that it's targeting into the object that it's okay. impacting with. So if you ever notice, like if you fire a bullet into like a wall or like something breakable, even into like a, like a human body, I suppose mm -hmm. <laughs> there's always like a big <laughs> hole at the other something end of it. Breakable. The human something body. Breakable. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So when you have a bullet impacting any kind of object, you know that the, the input hole is a lot smaller than the output hole, right? So if we go to the other side of the wall, there's like a big hole at the back. Mm. I don't know if you noticed that, but in so, so, so that, the input so the input wall is smaller or bigger? It's smaller. So if you fire a bullet into I don't know, let's say something breakable, the bullet is going to make a very small hole at the front of the wall, right? Mm. But at the back of the wall, it's going to be a very large hole, right? Why is that? That's in respect to energy. So when it comes to the amount of contact time between the bullet and the wall, and I'm considering the contact time between the bullet and the wall to be like 0. 0.00001 seconds. It's like very small because oh. right? it's almost instant. Right. So that amount of contact time, it actually it results in a high amount of kinetic energy being inputted into that wall but that kinetic energy has to go somewhere right 
Right. So, and it ends up traveling through the wall and it explodes out the other end, which makes Making... that large crater right. at the back of it. Right, right. So that's the idea behind, uh, you know, the damage the of a bullet. Yeah. So that that's yeah. pretty much uh, how a bullet does so much damage, right? It pretty much, it converts a bunch of kinetic energy, not from itself, to the object it's hitting. And, you know, when a bullet impacts, uh, let's say, a human, a human being, for example, usually it's the bullet that doesn't, that doesn't really do all the damage. It's the shockwave in respect to the bullet that can actually, you know, uh, mess up your organs or break some bones. And oh, so it's the actual release of the kinetic energy that causes the damage, not the bullet itself. Right. The bullet can do some damage when it comes to, like, piercing an organ, maybe, or even going out the other end and, you know, right, causing, a right. bad, causing a bad day. But what really does most of the impact is the sound. The, the the shock wave in respect to the bullet that's contacting you with the uh, the human body. So that's have something you, to keep in mind. Just quick question. So so let's say so Superman, right? Have you seen Man of Steel? Yes. So Man of Steel, okay, let's say you know how when he flies there's a certain speed at which when he flies, it makes a sound that's that goes like poof, right? And it's that it almost kind of sounds like a bullet or like a huge it's kind of like an explosion right yeah and he goes really really fast right and so you see at, at by his feet like this little i know it's special effects and everything it's not like real or anything but i'm assuming that's like the whole concept of kinetic energy right it's like he's flying so fast that there's like a little explosion of like uh kinetic energy behind him is that it's he's, he himself is kind of like the bullet does that make sense because he's going so fast I would say in that respect, that's more of aerodynamics concept. So oh, okay. when, that, when that fast sound is made, like the boom, that's him uh -huh. breaking the sound barrier, I assume. So he's going right. so fast that he, that he breaks the sound barrier. And when you break the sound barrier, um, when it comes to planes breaking the sound barrier, the, the wind, we call it drag. So the wind that's actually coming in contact with you becomes much faster, right? Because you're going very fast. Yeah. So the drag, or aka the wind, that's going against you is really fast. So uh -huh. with that amount of fast wind, there's going to be a lot of heat in respect to, you know, the sides of the plane. The or friction in this case, and everything. The friction from the wind itself contacting with the, the flying object, right? Yeah. So in respect to Superman's feet being nearly red, is that what you said? Uh, I wouldn't say I would no, not red. Um, I was gonna say uh, his feet, his feet around his feet. Usually, they have like special effects and visual effects. Where, I mean, it was the, the this was the case in the most recent Superman movie, the Man of Steel movie, right? Where uh -huh. around his feet, when he breaks the sound barrier or when he's going so fast, there's a little bit of wind that's almost kind of released at his feet, and you could see like there's like a big puff of air. Right, and it, it explodes outward, and so I'm assuming oh. that's kind of the idea behind a bullet when it impacts something so fast. It, there's like a little wind that just blows outward, at in, and that's basically the kinetic at energy the releasing. Yeah, at impact. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, um, I kind of forget the visuals on that, but that makes sense. So, uh, going back to the idea of the mechanics behind the gun, so 
you know when you fire a gun, there's mm-hmm. that pushback force known as recoil? Yeah. So the idea behind that is when the bullet inside the chamber is released, there should always be an equal and opposite reaction in respect to anything uh, moving, right? So Right, right. Laws of physics. Laws of physics. Um, so inside the chamber itself, here's what's really going on. Every bullet, they're known as cartridges, they no longer, most of them don't actually have gunpowder. Most of them ha- have something called propellant gas. So it's a special type of, uh, of gas that is released instead of gunpowder. And okay. the reason why they use this is because it's much more effective in respect to uh, it projecting the bullet outside of the, the chamber. So okay. Within, with that in mind, you know there's a pushback motion, and that's known as recoil. So mm-hmm. the recoil is, is very dependent on how fast that uh, or how large that explosion or that, that burst of air is within the chamber, right? So, okay. you know, recoil within a handgun is kind of kind of large in respect to recoil mm-hmm. within like a rifle, perhaps. Um, but with a rifle, you don't really feel it because you're much more holding the gun. Right, so you have like a you have both arms over the gun. It's like yeah. padded against your shoulder. So, if you hold it with one hand, though, you can clearly tell the difference between the recoil. Um, okay, but in respect to that, there's this mechanic behind uh, firearms known as muzzle velocity. So, this is a very important thing because this determines the speed at which the bullet exits the actual muzzle, and the muzzle is ex- is the actual chamber. Like the barrel. Mm. So uh, I'm going to show you a little graph here. And I don't know if the folks can... I will probably show it in the description. But there's this graph here that says... Mm. It pretty much describes the chamber pressure versus time. So within the barrel itself, there's a large amount of pressure being applied to the bullet. And this pressure is ultimately causing the bullet to actually exit the muzzle. So pressures can reach up to 60,000 PSI, and that's a lot of right. pressure. With that amount of pressure, what the bullet is essentially doing throughout the entire muzzle is that it's accelerating through the muzzle. And that may, that may seem kind of weird because when you have a projectile, usually people say that there's no acceleration in the X direction. But within the chamber itself, there is acceleration because it's pushing it outwards. So the moment the bullet re- the moment the bullet exits the chamber, there is no acceleration in the x direction. There's just acceleration in the y direction because of gravity. But I'm getting off topic okay. here. The way to no, no, increase fine. I, I'm finding this interesting. So the way to increase the speed of a bullet is to either increase the length of the barrel, increase the pressure of the air propellant. And those are basically the two major components to increasing the uh, the speed of a bullet, right? So we can visualize this by comparing handguns and rifles. What's the main difference? The, the barrel, barrel length. of yes. So the rifle barrel is much longer than the handgun barrel. So the reason why this is is because that bullet throughout the entire barrel is experiencing that amount of pressure 
for a large amount of time in respect to the rifle compared to the handgun. So the handgun barrel is much shorter. It's ex- the bullet itself is experiencing less amount of pressure than the rifle situation, right? So in the rifle, it's a much, much lower, larger barrel. The bullet right. traveling through that long barrel is experiencing this, this pressure, this large amount of pressure, for a large amount of time. And when I mean time, this happens very quickly. This happens like, I don't know, 0.001 seconds. <laughs> so it's very fast. Wow. But okay. when you have a long barrel, that can really, really um, change the speed of the bullet itself. Since the bullet is undergoing or is experiencing this amount of pressure for a long, longer period of time. Even if that longer period of time is like um, plus, I don't know, zero, 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 five seconds more. But it's still much more time than compared to other uh, firearms with a much shorter barrel length. So that's the idea behind, you know, larger rifles being much more powerful than uh, smaller guns, essentially. So that's why rifles are much more accurate and they're much more um, much more powerful when it comes to just basic firing. But yeah, yeah, that's the idea behind increasing bullet speed. But I really wanted to get into something called an attachment in respect to rifles, something called the bump stock. You've heard of this, right? Mm. It's been all over the news. Yeah. Very controversial they, issue. Didn't he ban bump? Didn't Trump ban bump stocks? So, as of I know, only certain states uh, have banned bump stocks, like California, mm-hmm. Washington. But I think Trump hasn't made an official uh, countrywide ban on them because mm-hmm. they're they're still considered a uh, a legal attachment in respect to semi-automatic rifles. Um, okay. So to get into that, this very controversial issue, semi-automatic rifles are rifles at which they fire at a single input per click, right? So right, single with, bullet per click, yeah. Single, yeah. So you have one squeeze, one bullet, mm-hmm. and an automatic rifle is you hold down the trigger and the and the gun will fire multiple rounds until mm-hmm. the clip is empty. So in today's age or in today's uh, you know, time, s- automatic rifles are considered illegal because they're a very deadly and a very effective type of firearm right. to use. And I hate to talk about this, but when it comes to massacres and, and school shootings and things like that, automatic yeah. uh, weaponry is uh, a prized firearm in respect to the, the killer, right? So yeah. they love using uh, automatic stuff and they would be a lot more effective with their killings too it would be it would it would ultimately increase the amount of killings exponentially so that's the Mm -hmm. idea there and their mindset there is they're not really worried about accuracy they're just sacrificing that accuracy for uh, a lot more you know rounds per minute Mm -hmm. because i i assume most massacres are like uh within like a combined area but i can name one massacre that isn't like that and that was the recent las vegas uh shooting remember that uh, 2017 yeah yeah so yeah. we had 
we had a guy, uh, I forget his name, but who cares? We had a guy who, um, he camped out at the, I think it was like the 20th floor of the Mandalay mm-hmm. Bay Resort and Casino Hotel. Yeah. And there was a concert uh, being performed just across the street. So yep. this killer was very much in view of that concert and all of the crowd. This killer, uh, as I um, look correctly, killed 59 people and he injured yep. 851. 851? But 422 were by gunfire. Wow. So that's the amount of damage that he caused. And mm-hmm. the reason why I bring up bump stocks is because every gun he had in that room had an attachment of a bump stock. Uh-huh. So a bump stock, I'm going to define it right now, is it's an attachment to a rifle that could cause, that could essentially change the semi-automatic uh, operation into an automatic operation. So instead of a rifle being, you know, one round per click, it can essentially be you know, multiple rounds per click. Mm-hmm. But the the mechanics behind his bump stock is actually kind of interesting. So, in respect to a bump stock, it doesn't necessarily change the, uh, the mechanics of the gun itself. So, when it comes to a rifle, you can detach the back, which is known as, like, the, the stock that goes against your mm-hmm. shoulder. So, you can detach that. You could buy this bump stock... And I'm going to show Parth right here what it looks like. That's the bump stock right there. Okay. It's an attachment of the handle and like that back, um, that back stopping um, rest. So mm-hmm. it's not really a fancy thing. It's just like a piece of plastic or metal in this case that can attach to the back end of a rifle. So what a bump stock does is it could allow the gun to essentially slide in and out. So what's happening here is the rifles that are semi-automatic, you have to clip, you have to pull the trigger and it fires one round. Mm-hmm. But in respect to the bump stock, it can allow you to hold the rifle in place mm-hmm. and you don't even need to uh, move your, your, uh, your trigger finger. You don't need to squeeze it. The bump stock will allow will allow the recoil of the rifle itself to actually move the gun up to your finger. So when oh. the rifle is fired and the recoil is initiated, it slides in and then it slides back out. And so when uh, the gun, the trigger encounters your uh, your trigger finger it will ultimately get squeezed. So you just need to keep your finger in place. And I'm going to show apart this little video here and how exactly mm-hmm. it's operated. So he's not moving his finger at all. The idea oh. of the bump stock is that it slides the gun in and out. And with this, it's essentially a semi-automatic, but it's just going very fast, right? Right. So so basically, you keep your finger in place. You don't move your finger back, right? Nope. You just keep your finger in place, and the gun slides back and forth. And if you keep your finger in place, it will keep shooting. Exactly. 
and this is in respect to every se- semi-automatic rifle. So, mm-hmm. and it fires pretty quickly. And yeah. um, I think the bump stock is a very controversial attachment because you could argue that you know it's not technically turning it into a semi into an automatic rifle. It's still a semi-automatic, but the mechanics of it uh, prove that it's just a alteration of the backside. Semi-automatic. Oh, oh, oh! Pretty, right, right, right. Right. So under technical not, grounds, it's not. You're not changing the actual mechanics inside the gun itself. You're just deattaching the back, and you're allowing the gun to slide in and out. But you're not changing it to an automatic rifle. Because an automatic rifle has a, uh, it has a design at which inside the rifle itself, so inside the chamber or the main part of the rifle, you hold down the trigger... And there's these certain gears and certain mechanics that allows the gun to fire every bullet in, at very quickly. But this is kind of a cheaper version of the automatic rifle. This bump stock right here. Uh, we'll go ahead and link this video in the description. But it's it's kind of interesting to, to look at, to be honest. But yeah. I'm pretty sure you you didn't really know what the the bump stock did, as I didn't. No, to I be didn't. honest, as of a, as of yesterday. So, yeah, yeah, I've heard about the bump th- stock, and I heard something about Trump wanting to ban all bump stocks. Um, but uh, I, I I I could have sworn he passed something where like, or he wanted to pass something maybe where to purchase a gun you had to be 21, um, and to Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, you just can get banning a, bump stocks, yeah. In the U.S. here, you could purchase a rifle or a shotgun uh, when you're 18. But you, you need to be 21 to purchase a handgun. That's how it works. Uh, Someone argue that's, that's pretty stupid. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's stupid, to be honest. I think you should be 21. But I also think so. What, what, still get what their point hands on is it? Like, like what what... What is the purpose behind you having a gun at 18, between 18 and 21? You know, you're still kind of a kid at that point. Right. I mean, so and people still do it, to be honest. <laughs> it's their right, yeah. I suppose. And yeah. um, I think this is I guess if the kids want to have a revolution. Right. You know, all those rednecks. <laughs> better watch out. <laughs> so I think this is interesting to bring up because this is a very uh, hot topic when it comes to the banning of the of the second amendment right so you have mm-hmm. democrats out there who see this type of mechanism right this piece of technology and they say well this is a clear reason why we should ban all assault rifles and oh i would disagree with that to be honest maybe you know automatic rifles are maybe you could argue that you could ban those type of weapons but in retrospect the mechanics and the engineering behind any firearm, you could do anything to them. So, you know, it's amazing how how uh, how much configuration you can do to a weapon to make it, you know, better in a sense. So you can improve its accuracy, you can improve the rate of fire. It, it's like a it's like a hobby. It really is. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who's played like Call of Duty, <laughs> well, or any sort of like <laughs> gunfire, t- any anywhere, first shooter, first uh, first person shooter game, 
they'll okay. know how many different attachments you can put on there like rapid fire you can put on i mean these are some of the you know attachments that the military might use but um, yeah i was i was going in respect to the actual um, hobby this what they do so they can like attach right. i think it's kind of similar right you can attach different scopes there's um so many, different barrels yeah. you can use and you can even configure the actual mechanics of it but yeah you know i, I really wanted to bring this up because uh in respect to the Las Vegas shooting, this individual at the Las Vegas shooting had, I think, 13 of these type of guns, right? So he had 13 guns like this. So he mm-hmm. was locked and loaded. Wow. And I'm pretty sure this number could have been a lot higher, the number of deaths, <laughs> Yeah. If, if people didn't respond. But you know what's scary? Um, I remember when this happened... And there was actually a man who recorded the outside of of his uh, his apartment or his his hotel room. Uh huh. And he just recorded uh, like audio, but the video was still showing of like the hotel. It didn't show the actual um, person firing. Killings. Oh. Yeah, it, he didn't show the killings or anything. He just like started recording like off in the distance, like in the sky, but you can hear mm-hmm. the audio. It is without a doubt one minute of just pure firing it was just like a, a solid minute of just bang 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 it was just consistent and it wow that scared me <laughs> to be honest <laughs> i was like oh my god that's <laughs> that's like a heavy Seriously. machine gun he's literally killing people and mm-hmm. when i when i heard that video i knew this was going to be a huge thing and i think this shooting actually um it really made people think about um the second amendment <laughs> oh 100 percent. yeah yeah i mean it, even you know it's crazy because so many soldiers will go into the military and the sort of trauma that they go through when they're in their hands they have a death machine that's like it's way worse than anything we've probably seen in the public and they use it in wars is you know, people, a lot, a lot of these soldiers, they come back with PTSD because of a lot of things, that, not just that they've seen, but the things that they've actually done. And they, they don't realize, wow, I can turn into a, it's a complete it's, monster. It's like PTSD when they come back. It's, yeah. it's the idea of the military, when you first enter it, they brainwash you. Yeah. For lack of better words, that's what they do. Uh, my mom mm-hmm. even told me this because she was in the army. What they do is right. they drill you into this mindset that you're nothing. And they drill you to the point where the only the only way you can have some hint of success or have or some sense of uh, acknowledgement is if you become a killing machine, essentially. Oh my god! It's it's kind of scary to think about because when it comes to being initiated into the military, you are prepared for war, right? You're prepared for a a type of 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 activity that pretty much is against human nature <laughs> right yeah it's kind of scary to think about but you know people wonder why these these veterans come back with like ptsd and who can really blame them because they went through this intensive training no, they were deployed and they experienced things that no person should experience <laughs> yeah seriously 
it's it's funny it reminds me uh i was in a fraternity back when i was in college and they had something called hell week where at the very end of you know when you're pledging they put you through this intensive military-like training where they make you just like you said it's it's essentially the same thing they make you feel like you're nothing and that the only way to have some sort of success is to follow their orders completely and so you know they they the, the people would literally stand in front of you like they're like your commanders and you're a worthless piece of shit and you have to do all these push-ups and you got to do they drill you all night long and it does it actually we had one of my brother one of the brothers of our fraternity the guy who was pledging with us uh one guy he just gave out like one guy passed out another guy he um started crying at the top of his lungs and he just he started screaming and he was like fuck you guys like i'm done with this and he just he lost it you know like and and people they're not necessarily able to handle a lot of this stress sometimes and i don't know it's it's crazy but yeah that's just it's insane to think about their personalities completely change after ptsd you know yeah and i think this type of uh behavior this type of treatment only the masculine of masculine of men can really survive that type of uh experience (laughs) seriously it's it's such a a dehumanizing um process yeah go through the military you know yeah yeah, go go on go i wasn't gonna say anything so it was so so i remember when i was in that process the only thing that was really pushing me through it and i actually i did decently well in that in that stage i remember and the only reason was because i kept it was a weird thing i don't know but it was almost like you have to call out an angry side of you. And I, I know it sounds weird, but it's like when they're drilling you all night long, it's like the only thing that's going to keep you going, that's going to give you lasting energy. By the way, they were not feeding us water or anything. It, they, were, they were feeding us beer. They were torturing us essentially, right? And it was like a mental toughness sort of exercise, right? Where the only thing that's going to get you through that is like an aggressive type of energy. You know, where you just kind of, kind of, you got to like grit your teeth together. You got to like, almost, you got to go into a a different mental state of mind. Right. Right. And it's, it's, it's hard to explain exactly, but you have to put yourself into almost like a, a barbaric state of mind. You know, like if if you think about like barbarians, um, or not, not necessarily barbarians, but like, um, like a very tribal or very, very like primal state of mind where like, it's almost like survival, right and and that like that this aggressive energy comes out of you and i'm sure like soldiers have to go through this when they they have this massive adrenaline rush when they're you know they they have again like i was saying the death machine in their hands and they're killing many many people right um it's it's i don't know man i think you you gotta you gotta be heartless (laughs) essentially that's what it comes down to because people tap into that that dark dark side within them and yeah, I think oh, Jordan Peterson's words that, you know, the devil lives within every single one of us. We just don't know it. Right. And yeah. there comes a time where you're going to actually experience that type of side of you. So mm-hmm. when it comes to people in the military, I think what the drilling does is they try to get that side of you out so you can yeah potentially use it. Right. So they try to get that double side of you 
to the front mm-hmm. where you're always that type of evil person because yep, yep, yep. when it, when you're in that state you know you become someone very very not bad but like you said very barbaric very primal yeah capable and people tap Let's into that, that way <laughs> and it's scary to think about because once you tap into that i think that's when you ultimately get ptsd right it's like oh my god i was i was this crazy devil evil person that did this and you know i'm back and i, I can't really feel the same and they have a hard yeah. time you know transitioning into the to regular life and there's not really any programs there that really uh help you help you adapt yeah. yourself because <laughs> once you tap into no. that side of you it, there's kind of like no going back oh yeah oh yeah you know, you know i don't think the human brain has evolved as it, it remember we talked I, I actually we didn't talk about this but human evolution happens on a uh-huh. very slow scale right we've been evolving since the path for the past two million years okay so you cannot expect mankind to be armed with firearms starting 600 years ago and only in the past 100 years having you know this type of technology get so effective to the point where you can kill a mass number of people in an instant without even seeming to exert much effort right it's the human brain has not evolved for that type of capability i think um, or i think it's fair fair enough to say that because right back in the day if you had to kill someone yeah, you may have used a spear, you may have used your bare hands, but you killed one human being at a time. Like it was, it wasn't like anything quick. It was like, I, I think that's it's more traumatic different. to be honest to do it like that because that's oh, that's yeah, a very well, barbaric that's way of doing it because it's you know it's very personal <laughs> and <laughs> with no, 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 no. I, I agree, I agree. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. With a firearm, it's kind of different, and I think you're not seeing it. To be honest, yeah. I mean, you're, you're just not seeing that type of... It's so instant, right? So, you know, you, mm-hmm. you can plow through people here and there like this Las Vegas shooter did. And he kind of felt like no remorse, right? But mm-hmm. I think um, going back to the, the development of the, the research of the firearms, mm-hmm. I think part of the main reason why the technology increased so rapidly was because people tapped into that evil side of them, right? So with that in mind, they were they were, they were able to have that motivation and they were able to have that mindset to improve on this deadly type of technology so it can do more yes. damage, so it can cause more pain, so it can cause more harm. So with this in mind, this device is going to ultimately um, change uh, history itself because yeah. you know the civilizations who had this type of tech, this type of firearm, were the ones that ultimately won the wars, right? So mm-hmm. you know, yeah, Cortez versus the Spanish, or yeah, Cortez versus the 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 Mayans and the Aztecs. Cortez won. You had, you know, early America, um, thirteen colonies winning over the Indians, essentially, uh, little by little, because mm-hmm. they had this technology. So it, I hate to connect this type of. Uh, technology to the dark side of human nature <laughs> yeah no I really but it's do. inevitable right like you kind of have to i think it is yeah i think it's motivated from that kind of side of, of human nature itself now now here's a different perspective on it right some people would argue that it's it is dark but it's also for protective reasons 
because if you don't develop it yeah yeah if you don't yeah because if you don't develop it's kind of like the whole idea i don't know if we talked about it on this podcast but peace through strength right where if you don't develop a strong military or strong weaponry or if and if you're not ahead of the game when it comes to the military then other nation states will become that way and then you can't trust other nations to live with a peaceful manner, right? Because they might want to spread their influence around the globe and they might want to do it in lethal ways. And this is the whole idea behind like, this is where it becomes very tribal, right? Like we have different warring tribes. Let's say each each nation is like a tribe um, or each religion is like a different tribe. If you're hard, If you're a hardcore fanatic of your religion and you have weapons of mass destruction, or like firearms that are really advanced um and you're you're a hardcore believer of your religion and you are going you are willing to go to the lengths of of you know genocide to make sure that your uh religion i guess you know uh has has dominant influence or not even religion let's say but culture or something yeah. then you will use those types of weapons you will Make sure that you are able to develop those types of weapons. So in my opinion, I think it's going to be inevitable because human beings are just naturally hardwired to fight for their own identity. And I was reading this, uh, I was actually uh, listening to an audiobook on this uh, by a guy named Jack Donovan. I think I've told you about him. Um, he has multiple books, uh, one of them called The, the Way of Men. Um, and there was a new book which I recently got called How to Become, How to, what was it, like, how to unleash your barbarian or something like that, where he uh-huh. was talking about, um, he's just, he he sort of gets into politics in this book about how we live in a world where we're becoming a global society now, right? Globalism is spreading, and you know, separate identities are not being found anymore. People are not taking pride in their separate identities, and um, essentially, he was arguing that we need to be proud of our, our our separate identities as well like it's not it's not a bad thing people have brainwashed you into thinking that um to be proud of your heritage is and to protect it and to fight for it is a wrong thing um and and he just goes into this massive description about it but it was just interesting because he has sort of a radical point of view you know um but anyways back to the to the main point i think if if you don't develop the firearms or if you don't develop the the weapons, then other nations might, uh, and they're going to have the advantage. So I think if, if we work under the assumption that every single, uh, nation state or country out there is going to develop weapons eventually in the long run, then it's best for America or at least a country with, um, decent morals, right. (laughs) To, have that weaponry the right people to have that weaponry it's kind of like saying power is going to be somewhere but where that power lies is really important because you can't just destroy power power is going to be there but it it should be in the right hands you see what i'm saying right it needs to be in the hands of the people who are competent and it needs to be the hands of people who are very dependable so exactly yes there's this idea in, in today's society that power is being misused and that, you know, people who are committing these massacres and these school shootings um, are evidence that, you know, firearms should be taken away from everybody, right? We should abolish the Second Amendment. So, yeah, it, it's 
that kind of debate is still going on, to be honest, today. And yeah. I'm going to ask a question here. Do you believe that the Second Amendment will be repealed anytime soon? Maybe in the future, in our lifetime? Um, I'm not too sure about that. I want to say no, but I could be wrong. I don't have too strong of an opinion on this one, but I do think that if it does get banned, then it will almost be like alcohol getting banned by the 18th Amendment uh, to the Constitution, right? Like it will okay. eventually be repealed because, um, or, or I guess put back into the Constitution because what happened in, when alcohol was uh, banned was it would, alcohol consumption actually increased because it was, it, it was, um, it kind of went underground, illegal. right? Like all, yeah. yeah, black market, that sort of thing. And I think it will become scary for a lot of these citizens who feel as if their rights are protected because they have the right to bear arms, right? If the government decides to send soldiers f for whatever reason after its citizens to control them, like, uh, you know, under martial law, that's what we call it. Um, I don't know if you know what that is. I just found martial out recently law. what yeah. martial Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah, so I'm I'm assuming, and so, if I remember correctly, then it's military that, controlling. Um, yeah. Hello, our, our connection yeah, is being yeah. lost here. Sorry, Hello? yeah, Skype is Skype oh. is kind of cutting in and out. <laughs> okay, no problem, no problem. Okay, yeah, poor. Yeah, man. you were saying. Oh. Um. So yeah, martial law. Um. Have we? When, when was the last time the U.S. actually um invoked? Martial law. I don't know. To be honest, probably a long time ago. <laughs> long time Maybe ago. never. When? 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 Because I think never? we always had really? the right to bear arms. Like under any president, like no president had had to actually. Well, I think state governments <sighs> can do partial law too, right? They can. Uh... Not too sure. Not too sure. But I know there's going to be people out there who will argue and who will arguably feel that the reason that they, and th these are like hardcore protection. Th these, pe these people love the second amendment, right? Um, like the yeah. NRA and things like that. So really. yeah, where I feel like if, if guns are banned, then they're going to stockpile them because they're afraid they're, they almost have like a paranoia that the government is going to come after them and take away all their rights. And they're not going to have any way to fight it. You see, um, and one of the one of the um, uh, arguments that was made about Venezuela recently was that they don't have the right to bear arms, and their government is like oppressing some parts of the country or something like that. And you know, people are stupid to give so much socialist power to the government, and you know, not give yourself any power, you the people uh in terms of the right to bear arms right like the the right to bear arms the reason it was in the bill of rights and and initially in in at the foundation when we first found the founded the country was because it gave citizens another form of power over the government you see now i don't know how relative or that is today in respect to the government because i'm pretty sure our military has extremely advanced technology compared to just the guns that society or, or like our civilization has like our, our society has you know in public or the public has but uh that being said i think yeah if you ban guns it's it people are just going to use them more or they're going to like stockpile those guns somewhere uh for safety and protection reasons you know yeah. what about you i think honestly um there's going to be an attempt to uh 
take away the Second Amendment, and it's going to work. And then when that happens, wow. there's going to be a bunch of outrage <laughs> in respect to America. Yeah. So there's going to be a, I wouldn't say like a revolution, but there's definitely going to be a lot of protests and there's going to be a lot of commotion. Yeah, and 100%. Owning a gun, it's a very American thing. And yeah. when it was first implemented into the Constitution, I think that type of right was necessary because, you know, the America at that time was very, I think it was very small and there was no federal government. So it really ultimately came to the citizens to protect themselves, right? So it was up to certain communities to create their own militia and to protect themselves with their own firearms, hence the Second yeah. Amendment. So mm-hmm. nowadays, some argue that that is no longer needed because we have protection from a bunch of uh, you know police departments and we're very safe and compared to back then. And it's very debatable and there's a lot of facts going around here and there. But I think it will reach that point where it will get... Um, scratched from the constitution wow that's kind of scary to think about huh one of the bill of right one of the amendments in the bill of rights being taken away that's that's uh that's really something yeah but you know when it does happen pay close attention to how people react (laughs) oh yeah people are going to be terrified or at least some some of them some will be very happy (laughs) I guess someone would be happy, yeah. Because I think what they're trying to do, um, people who want the Second Amendment to be abolished, is they want to be able to uh, decrease the amount of massacres and school shootings and and things like that. Mm -hmm. And they think that is the solution. If you ask Mm -hmm. me, that's not the solution. But Mm -hmm. they are so fixated on that point that that, that, that that is the solution to solve all these massacres and things like that. Yeah, I think they don't understand that part of the deeper problem lies in the, and it's a lot of boys and men that that commit these uh, killings, right? Um, You know, and I'm willing to bet anything that they're under some sort of depression for whatever reason, whether it's a girl that they fell in love with rejected them or they're just depressed about having lack of meaning in their life um or whatever the case may be they have it's they there's a saying going around in the conservative community that it's not guns that kill it's people that kill so so what happens is if you take guns away the knife killings will increase you see or some other way of of killing will come about well yeah i think um the the message there is that people are going to kill if they want to kill, right? You can't really control what people initially want to do. So if you make mm-hmm. guns illegal, I'm pretty sure they can get a gun somewhere or they'll find another way to kill, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Whether it be some different type of technology. Um, I mean, you have people resorting to, you know, bombs and and different types of, you know, devices of mass destruction. So yeah. it is an issue... In regard to psychology, I believe. And I think Jordan Peterson, he explains this in his book. And he goes yeah. into detail about it. He, he even talks about the Columbine shooters. How they uh, labeled themselves as judges of the world. <laughs> and they wanted to yeah. pretty much take everyone out. 
it's their way of getting attention also right before they die it's like i need to uh, what was it he said he, he said they need he, that they need to share they need to show the world about how miserable life can be or something like that before they died themselves because a lot of these killers what happens is they don't they they kill a bunch of people then they kill themselves also right it's like a yeah. last act kind of a thing you know yeah i think uh they definitely want to send a message right that's the idea mm-hmm. there and you know that message being very cruel and very nasty they reach a point these individuals where they they say okay life is suffering my life sucks and i've gotten the shit end of the stick and my hand is such a terrible hand that i need people to know yeah and the only way to actually get the spotlight is to guess what commit a massacre yeah i think that's their mentality there kind of scary right yeah a person can actually go down that route and and connect all the dots right he's like okay my life sucks okay what's the next thing i can do well i can make people aware that my life sucks and that life is suffering right Mm -hmm. well how do i do that well the ones who don't acknowledge the suffering are idiots therefore i must Mm -hmm. convert them and say life is suffering you need to realize it but how do i how do i get them to realize it well i'm gonna do a very cruel act but in this case it's not cruel because it's necessary and then they go to the and then they have the mentality where it's a necessary evil. So yeah, and 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 they know that if they do something this horrible, then the news has to report it, and therefore their message gets spread too. I think that's part of it. I don't think that's the main motivation behind it. I think it's very internal. Like they need to do this for themselves. Oh, really? Okay. Maybe who knows? We should have a <laughs> an, uh, an episode on the psychology behind the shooters probably <laughs> or just that domain in general yeah that'd yeah be, that'd be very interesting yeah but yeah. i mean looking at the time now we're coming up at around uh almost one hour and 50 minutes yep um i don't know if you want to call it an episode because you're kind of yeah, cutting yeah. in and out because uh i don't know what's going on with the internet connection oh i have no idea <laughs> yeah. but yeah no Sorry. we can call it an episode yeah i think it was a it was a good run I think so too. We didn't get much into the details of the the firearm itself. I mean, there are advancements um, now, and I, I know there's controversy over uh, 3D printers. Uh, you know, oh, right. printing certain parts of a of a weapon and attaching it to that. Mm-hmm. But it, if you ask me about that kind of uh, issue, 3D printing uh, weapon parts or firearm parts. They're not always the best part because, <laughs> yeah. one, they're made out of plastic, and two, yeah. they could have some inconsistencies, and you know they would wear and tear very easily. But you know yeah. the fact that you could do that causes a lot of uh, commotion, mm-hmm. so it gets a lot of attention. Yeah, but in regards to anything else about firearms, do you want to say anything? Maybe some facts. Who knows? Uh, I, uh, that's all the research I really did. <laughs> so far, that's all we did as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Maybe we can have a part two to it or at maybe. least put in some facts here and there in other episodes. If we talk yeah. about nukes, we can add in some firearms facts in there. We'll, we'll get the hang of this guys. We're, we're still a little new to this type of platform. <laughs> yeah. Especially this, uh, educational episode part. So yeah. we're trying to 
adjust it accordingly. But yep, yep. Uh, as of right now, this is the Odyssey podcast. We thank you. Matt and Bart signing off. Yeah, Bart signing off, Matt signing off. Everyone's signing off. So yep. <laughs> have a good one. Thank you.